When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As she rides, she casts hard, sharp, tiny shards of ice around her, and woe betide anyone whose eye or heart is pierced by one of them. That person is then lost. No longer will anything gladden them. They will find anything that doesn't have the whiteness of snow ugly, obnoxious, repugnant. They will not find peace, will abandon everything, and will set off after the queen in pursuit of their dream and love. Naturally, they will never find it and will die of longing. Hello and welcome, everyone. A Shard of Ice we will be covering today from A Sword of Destiny. Super excited to be here. Before we get into all the good stuff, I present to you Kyla Fur. Uh, I live in the cold north in Canada here, so I am a queen of ice, I guess, because I'm complaining about it. We got Azizugal and Edgin Mikal. I hope I'm saying that uh, correctly. You're not, As you guys. Hello. <laughs> wait, shame myself? Oh, nice. Getting a nice shame bell. And for those of you who have been here before, we have two types of versions of this podcast. We do the live version here on YouTube, which is our 10th version of a live stream here on YouTube. And then we have our podcast version on Anchor, which we have a couple of more episodes because we did a bonus spoiler episode. We split that up in Aziz's uh, an editing wizard. So two versions, one here on YouTube, one on Anchor. Geralt the Witcher stares down the waste and refuse of an entire city. Though he has little trouble defeating the Zoogal that lurks within, a creature that had killed eight people, he spends the rest of the story trying not to be as miserable as the trash dump. Or, arguably, he tries very hard to be as miserable as this huge mass of refuse, depending on your perspective. Either way, it's unclear if he succeeds, which is in itself a bad sign. You've heard the phrase, down in the dumps? Well, rarely has it been so apt. He returns to his place of residence to clean up, and we see that he's living with Yennefer, whose magic comes in very handy at bath time. Geralt had previously expressed that the spread of civilization was ending the need for witchers, but Yennefer disagrees. You see, even in the city, it's easy for a witcher to find work. You don't have to roam the wilds. Istrith maintains that after the extinction of a forest or marsh creature, another one always replaces it. A new mutation adapted to the artificial environment created by humans. Clearly, this Istrith fellow disagrees as well. And Geralt, though he doesn't say it out loud, seems to think they're right after all. This isn't the only thought he keeps to himself, each time wary of a confrontation. Keeping frustrations to yourself, swallowing them, holding them down, and inability to communicate. These are not good signs for a relationship. So too is Geralt's jealousy over Istrith. And vice versa, it turns out, because Yennefer has relationships with them both. Such arrangements can be made to work, but we quickly learn that's not in the cards for this particular case. They are three humans that have lived lifespans of lengths that are rather inhuman, and for the same reason they have limited options for long-term romantic partners. 
That's an argument for coexistence. But again, their long lifespans have somewhat limited their capacity for change. Not to mention powerful people are used to others adjusting to them, not for them. This cocktail of expectations, ego and power, is a centerpiece of the story as the three focal points, Geralt, Yennefer, and Istrith, struggle with their own selves as much, if not more so, than they struggle with each other. The setting is Eighth Ginvale, which translates to Shard of Ice. An elven place, though not a city, as elves don't build such. It stood long before humans existed on the continent at all, let alone before the human civilization that occupies it now. Yennefer says of the place, There is the legend of the Queen of Winter traveling across the country through a blizzard on a sleigh drawn by white horses. She sews hard, sharp, tiny shards of ice as she goes, and woe betide he should one of those shards pierce his eye or heart. That someone is lost forever. This would make for a very good description of Geralt himself, who spends most, if not all, of this story miserable, hateful, depressed, and finally resigned. But that's the way of things when you have a passion for a partner in a relationship in the midst of it falling apart. Geralt perhaps doesn't notice the symbolism as we readers do, but he knows about that legend, or rather... It's not a legend, Yen. It's a beautiful way to describe the terrible phenomenon called the Wild Hunt, a curse apparent in certain lands. An irrational collective insanity drives people to follow the ghostly procession racing across the sky. I've seen it. Indeed, it's not uncommon in winter. Geralt may be right about the historical facts, but he and Istrith behave as if they have those very shards of ice in their hearts, following Yennefer to the point that death from sorrow seems entirely possible. She makes it quite clear that if she didn't want to spend time with one or both of them, she would not hesitate to end things. Despite the clear truth of that, I mean, she is, after all, very assertive. This is not enough for either of them, who seem to grudgingly accept that she wants to have flings. But sharing her with someone she genuinely has deep feelings for, they just aren't happy about that, to put it mildly. Yennefer, extraordinarily powerful, has created a black kestrel, saying she needs it, but she won't say what for. The bird is capable of speech, making it capable of delivering messages by speech or by carrier method. But she laments that despite the ability to create life and many other wonders, there is so much she can't control. For example, these two men. She has enormous power over them, but she can't control, say, how they feel. Furthermore, the Witcher and the Sorcerer seek each other out to confront the situation. At first, the two men argue, quite effectively showing their skills at insulting each other. Their blows are well-aimed, intending to prove that the other is not actually an equal after all. Istrith repeats the frequently held belief that witchers are emotionless as evidence that Yennefer will lose interest, while Geralt points out his opportunity to have her to himself, if it ever existed, lies in the past. Digging into the past doesn't deter Istrith, who, apart from being a sorcerer, is an archaeologist. The banter proceeds, but neither seems to have a significant edge, so they call it a day. But in another way, Geralt is at a disadvantage. The same one facing him way back in Blaviken. The local authorities meaning the ones in power, value Istrith, their local magician. He's prestigious, well-known, and an employer. So they have use for a witcher, but as we saw, it involves tasks like standing thigh-deep in wet garbage, facing prejudice and suspicion at the bathhouse when getting cleaned up, and then getting cheated of payment. It's not the same for Istrith. Worse, when he does try to cheat him for the fee for the Zoogle, The man's top lieutenant turns out to be a murderer named the Cicada, who repeatedly tries to provoke Geralt. Numerous aspects of the city, in other words, work for Istrith while working against Geralt, and numerous things try to provoke Geralt while working for Istrith. 
Geralt is keenly aware of all this. He knows Istrith is powerful enough to kill him with ease. He's getting constant reminders of how much of an outsider he is, and he knows he can't steer Yennefer to a different course. And as if he has that proverbial shard of ice in heart, leaving her isn't an option either. His inability to control any of what's happening, even his feelings about the situation, only make it all worse. Ironic, given that according to popular myth, he's not supposed to have feelings at all. Yennefer tries to stop him from despairing and spiraling, but he's quite stuck. Though he loves her, he knows she's pondering an offer of monogamy from Istrith, and that terrifies him. From Yennefer's perspective, however, it seems Istrith's offer to commit was made somewhat in desperation, as much a means to get rid of Geralt or challenge him as anything to do with just Istrith and Yennefer's relationship. She proceeds to make a second black kestrel in front of Geralt, lamenting that she was wrong to think only one would suffice. This is ominous, though Geralt doesn't perceive why. He's more blown away by creating life out of nothing. Yennefer is coming to realize that neither of her lovers are handling this well at all. This is simply not going to work, and if she doesn't take action, something terrible might happen. Indeed, the next day, the two men agree that they must fight to the death. It shows the depth of their passion in a somewhat twisted way, but they actually begin to understand each other. In our arrogance, continued the magician, we thought that Yenna wouldn't hesitate to choose the better of us. As for who was the better, neither of us had any doubt. We came to the point where, like a pair of urchins, we bragged about the regard she has shown us, and like inexperienced boys, we even divulged the nature of that regard and what it meant. I imagine that, like myself, you've been thinking about it and have realized just how wrong we were. Geralt completely agrees. They hate each other, but the disrespect between them is fading. It's difficult to hold on to the hypocrisy of despising what your beloved loves. A decent person can't live with that contradiction. But the more they respect each other, the deeper the rivalry is, the bigger the threat. They know, but they can't help themselves. Geralt? What? Don't you feel stupid? I feel stupid, the witcher admitted reluctantly. The duel is set for the next morning, but Geralt's conscience begins to eat at him. He's not afraid to face Ithrith, but he doesn't want to. A part of him would rather die first, and that part of him almost wins out as he heads to a bad part of town to drink, leaving his weapons behind and flashing his money. He wants to be attacked. He gets what he's after. He's assaulted, but the back alley thugs, despite landing several blows, take note of his unnaturally swift reflexes and then his witcher medallion. Two of them run off in terror, while the third gives up more calmly, adding an oddly insightful parting shot. Next time, when you want to kill yourself, witcher, don't try to get others to do it for you. Just hang yourself by your reins in the stables. The next morning, he dresses for the duel and decides it's a beautiful morning. Is it resignation, relief that it will be one way or another over with? Well, he sighs and spits, only to find the cicada standing there. The one man in the store who actually truly wants to fight, and he's dressed for it. But Geralt mercifully shows him how out of place he is, only ruining his face instead of ending his life. He doesn't actually respect the cicada enough to kill him. Istrith, however. On his belt hung a sword. A beautiful light sword with a swept hilt, the tip of the scabbard brushing against the cuff of his shiny riding boot. On the magician's shoulder sat a black bird, a kestrel. Istrith laughs long and loud and says that Yennefer wanted to save them both, but here they are about to duel anyway. 
He admits that Yennefer has rejected his proposal of monogamy and ended their relationship in the process. He wants to duel anyway, though. He cannot face life without her and is ready to cross swords with a witcher without using his magic. This is basically suicide, and they both know it. But Geralt is not pleased by this. Istrith may think that he's lost, but Geralt hasn't won. He knows the great loss the sorcerer is feeling because he's feeling it too. From the moment Geralt saw that kestrel, he understood. Istrith insists they fight, but Geralt refuses to even draw his sword. The Witcher is aware of something that Istrith is not, that there's a second kestrel. Geralt knows that she sent him one bearing a similar message. They've both lost her. She's likely already left town. Istrith continues to demand the duel proceed, but there's no reason to fight anymore. The only thing to do is walk away. Istrid, he said over his shoulder, don't drag anyone else into this. If you want to do it, just hang yourself by the reins in the stables. Geralt, shouted the magician, his voice cracked suddenly with a note of hopelessness that grated on the ears. I won't give up. I'll follow her to Wengerberg. I'll go to the ends of the earth to find her. I won't ever give up on her. Know this. The Witcher knows this is true, and he knows why it's truth. Truth is a shard of ice. There can only be one Highlander is uh, how I felt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, there, can, only, Jennifer, there can only sure. be one. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we talked we talked about this privately uh was it yesterday or Tuesday, a couple Tuesday. days ago, Tuesday. And I went back and listened to the audiobook. We all talked about how we were doing rereads for this one. And this one is kind of let's, let's talk about like the fan reaction, I guess, and then our reactions, because this one is kind of seen as one of the least favorites, I guess, of Sword of Destiny on Reddit and just kind of out there. But you know, we talked about it and and just the story of the Ice Queen and um kind of the delving in of the relationships of Yennefer and Istrith and Yennefer and Geralt, but also just like Sapkowski revealing why. Geralt and Yennefer are the way they are. I felt like that was really powerful. And it's and it's a big step because the next four stories, I, I wouldn't say Eternal Flame, but the three stories after that really kind of start to get into the main plot. And then we start to, the final two stories of Sword of Destiny get right into the main plot. So this is kind of an important setting up of like, hey, you know, this is how Yennefer feels. This is how Geralt feels. And that's kind of my reaction to it. At first, it wasn't my favorite, but like after my second and third read, I like it a lot more because there's a lot of analogies I find in this short story, you know, with the Zugal and the trash, you know what I mean? Like human nature, like, you know, just like being in the dumps. Um, you know, obviously the shard of ice in your heart, you know, vampires can only be killed with stakes, but imagine being killed by, by love and the lack of love. Um, those are some pretty interesting things. So I, I actually really enjoyed this a lot more than I thought. And I think this is one of the better short stories in Sword of Destiny. But we say that about every short story after we read it because we <laughs> like all of them. But yeah, like my, my initial feelings on it were kind of this, like the same as the fandom. And now that I've... Hmm read it more and talk with you guys more about it, like, you know, nerded out about it. I, I liked it a lot more, I think. Yeah, I think, <laughs> um, not to put too fine a point on it, but I think people who don't like the story are wrong. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. It's not an action-packed story. A lot of perceived action winds up being completely un- unimportant. It really is all about yeah. feelings and relationships. And I mean, it's a breakup story. That's that's what it is. And that's not always fun to read, but I think it's really 
well orchestrated. And like, you know, again, obviously Sapkowski like does a lot of that stuff where he he'll have the characters say things and you have to like hunt through the story to figure out what they mean and like where this is coming from and whatever. And I get I get it. It's not like a, an easy read, but I think that it really provides a lot of powerful emotions. And when viewed in the wider context of sort of destiny, it's a really important part of Geralt and Yennefer's journey. Specific more Geralt than Yennefer, but like a, a really important, you know, if if they get together in the first story, then they break up now. And then we'll talk later, you know, in future episodes about how how Geralt's arc and how their relationship plays out from there. But yeah, I think it's I think it's really essential. And I think there's a lot of pain in the story that is really kind of just out there unashamedly presented. Um, and it's not like it's not an embarrassing thing to feel pain over the end of a relationship. And I I I think that's really cool. And when you say you're wrong, I I, I find it interesting because a lot of the negative fan reaction is based on Yennefer's shadiness. Like that kind of framing of the situation. And we talked about that, like Yennefer's kind of perception of things and the way she feels about herself. Like she's had a really difficult life. I mean, she was a hunchback. The way she views herself and loves herself. I think that's a big part of that. And I think the part... Just for those who are saying, you know, Mikel says you're wrong if you're not, you know, if you don't. This, that's, that, that's what she means. Kind of the misogyny towards Jennifer, I, Jennifer, I think, because of how how um, she deals with her trauma, essentially, yeah. which is yeah. really unique. And like, I get it. Like, it's easy. It's easy to read this story and just be like, Jennifer's such a bitch. And like, that's not not true. Like, I, I, I don't. Yeah. Like, yeah. The sense of Jennifer, I think, is should never be predicated on like she's a virtuous, wonderful, generous person because that's not true. Um, yeah. But like, she is very human, and like, I feel like even though what she does is wrong, first of all, like she and and Geralt have plenty of hurt to go back and forth in that relationship. So like, yeah. you know, it's not a one way street. Um, and I, I just think you have to just read it from that from that perspective like she you know the 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 ice queen is in the story for a reason you know and it's it's not like a like Sapkowski doesn't tell these stories over so that we read them in this simplistic way you know where like the villain is the villain and and that's it right like if yeah the villain can be you know the the hero <laughs> oh, and then i think the, the snow queen can also be you know maybe not a hero but but definitely a sympathetic antagonist in a story like this Mikael, yeah. Aziz also brings up a great point. They've all, they all, like when he talked in the synopsis about longer lifespans, look at it from that perspective too. Mm-hmm. They have all experienced maybe double the amount people have experienced in one single lifetime. So I think that that's a pretty interesting way to look at it too, right, Aziz? Yeah, absolutely. And they've always like, I, I tried to bring up to the aspect of power dynamics, which is that for Istrith and Yennefer and to a lesser extent, Geralt, they've they've often been the more powerful one in whatever relationship they've been in. Like they've kind of the proverbial pants, you know, <laughs> that that kind of that reference, whatever you want to call it. They're all not super mature, despite their age, as far as relationships, they don't have a lot of experience with healthy relationships. And that's not a slam on them. That's just an ac- an aspect of, of what they are about being sorcerers and witchers and I tried to bring up how there's not exactly a large dating pool for them. Like, <laughs> w- sorcerer Tinder is, is pretty barren, right? I mean, <laughs> what about witch? What about Witcher Tinder, dude? Witcher Tinder is terrible. Yeah, it's really I don't know, bad. Carol's it's just okay. monsters trying to. It's just shapeshifters trying to. Well, Witcher, Witcher, Witcher <laughs> Tinder is other witchers. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, who are miserable.
the theme of family, like this, this is kind of needed before the final two stories in Sword of Destiny because the theme of family really starts to become prevalent. We talked about this idea of like isolation and you know, just kind of this idea of like the, the, not, not having healthy relationships and having, you know, I mean, one's a sorcerer, one's a witcher. And I, I think that's super important for us to understand before going forward because it makes this story even more important because it gives us really, really good perspective on the trauma. And we're going to see more of that, obviously, throughout the story because we get to learn more about these characters. But this is kind of like an important setting up point, I feel. I wonder, does it make you guys sad that cats hate girls? Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it does to me too and you know that finding out that Sapkowski likes cats you know that he did this intentionally to make it sad because you don't you can't be a cat lover and write your main character as someone that cats hate and not intend that to be like supposed to be a little bit tragic yeah. you know <laughs> so. well Istrith even compares Geralt to a cat so it's like there's that extra yeah. layer of like oh. Well, we were talking about privately something that was really interesting, like uh, Istrith being an archaeologist excavating the idea of the past. Like the past affects all three of these characters a big, like big time, right? Like it form formulates how they they are and like act in the world. That uh, affects their relationships because of their trauma. I found that really. I feel like there's a lot of like hidden analogy. Like I know Sapkowski does it a lot, but I feel like it was extra, especially with you know Istrith being an archaeologist, and then obviously we have the Ice Queen story, which is just like a direct correlation to how Yennefer feels. I feel like he like he did a lot of that in this short story. Yeah, mm -hmm. well said. There's a lot of, uh, like you said, you started to talk about, or we dropped a few examples of of mirroring and parallels. Yeah. Uh, that's that's this story does do that really well. You, you mentioned a couple of good examples. McCall just mentioned the cats. That's another yeah. one. Uh, and then characters, we quoted one. The examples of them like trying to commit suicide, but via someone else. You know, suicide by mob or suicide by witcher or cicadas suicide by i don't know what you call that but <laughs> just suicide by stupidity <laughs> yeah that i mean suicide by confidence yeah and but even that is like a theme which is the underestimating like cicada massively underestimates Geralt and believes that there's all this uh he's like oh it's reputation you guys just play it up smoke in the eyes it's all fake you know this and that he's like i'm hey i'm heartless and emotionless i can be a witcher you know he basically calls Geralt fake news which is kind yeah, of yeah it's true idea. it's like it's kind of ironic because he he's not threatening Geralt in the slightest with you know his threats but some of the things he says actually do bother Geralt he's just not willing to show it is if cicada knew like calling him a mutant and all that stuff that was actually getting to him because of all the other stuff happening around him. Like if it was a normal day, you're not going to bother Geralt with words that easily. It's ironic because he doesn't have emotions yet. He is feeling these things like these stinging words from cicadas. Yeah. He's, he's bitter about that. He's like, I'm not supposed to have feelings, you know? And he's just like, he's kind of <laughs> leaning into it. And Yennefer's like, don't do that. Well, I mean, it, it goes back to the thing from um, the first story, right? Where he, he was talking about like how he's just kind of a piece of a golem blown mm. along by the wind, kind of like just stumbling along without emotions. I mean, the funny thing about the Witcher series is I think like it's so aggressively masculine in some ways that it really, really tricks you into not understanding how like squishy and soft and feelsy it is. Yeah. Like Geralt has an actual moment in this story where he's like, 
there's something in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's yeah. true. You're right. I mean, it's like you're saying, Kyle, there's like all this stuff about friendship and family and, and all the stuff. You're right. Like the Witcher has this great masculine packaging of Henry Cavill and swords and stuff. <laughs> it, it, it's great that we got a female showrunner. And- yeah. And I mean, it's it's worth pointing out that like a lot of the conversation when the show came out was like a lot of a lot of women or, you know, uh, non-binary women people um, were like, hey, you know, I'm, I did not expect to find anything in the show beyond like maybe like Henry Cavill's abs. You know? <laughs> but it's like it's just like this trove of like female characters and feelings and, you know, mm-hmm. and not that guys can't appreciate that, too, because obviously guys <laughs> do. But I think it's worth noting that like what the show and and the book series look like their packaging is a lot more aggressive than what is actually inside. Anya Chalotra won uh, just for anyone. She won breakout actress of IMDb of uh, the oh, IMDb awards and she was the most searched there. So oh, um, Witcher, yeah. <laughs> Witcher 76 million downloads on the show. I know we're doing a book podcast right now, but just kind of some framing here. Really interesting. And I, I think that that's a, a really, a really good thing. Yeah. I was really trying to figure out what the Shard of Ice means. And I I don't think this is maybe like the only explanation. But for me, it really kind of represents something that you can't hold on to. That is like very pain. It it can hurt you, but it almost isn't there at the same time. And I think that really contrasts with the very powerful like emotions, like something that is there. It is hurting you, but you can't see it um, in the story. A big theme in this one is Geralt being accused constantly by Sakita and by Istra, like calling back to other stories of being like an automaton who can't feel anything, whether it's love or disgust or whatever. Like Istra just keeps ramping up his rhetoric to that, you know, to that extent. Cicada's even like, you know, what like we said, like your your witcher abilities aren't even real. Like they're just smoke in the eyes. It's an illusion. Obviously, none of that's true. We know that Geralt's powers are real and we know that his emotions are also real. Even in the opening section, like it's noted, like Geralt's like, ugh, <laughs> like yes, I'm in the garbage, but it's gross, you know. And that's that's a different thing from having no uh, disgust response. It's the interest. It's interesting that you bring that up, Mikael. Like the emotions versus nothing. This thing, because like I feel like a bit of what like Ishra's insults are like, like projection. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like it's a very toxic masculinity thing that's going on. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah. oh Jennifer, it's, it's like this like ma- it's like this mating ritual almost. That's really, yeah. really well said. Yeah, because that's touches on what we we're saying before about how these these characters are older and powerful, but they're not super mature. They don't have like a lot of health, experience with healthy relationships. They're used to getting what they want. So you're right. It is like Istrith is projecting. He's like, oh, she can't possibly be that interested in you because she's a sorceress and we're and we sorceresses are the top of the top. And you're just a witcher. You're just a glorified exterminator. So, yeah. So he's projecting that she could only possibly be interested in someone based on the the things that he judges like that's he would not be with uh, a, a witcher if if he was into men or whatever uh, because he thinks they're beneath him so he's projecting that onto Yennefer but clearly Yennefer is not attracted to Istrith because of entirely because of his sorcerousness although that probably helps it's it seems like as we move through the story we see how much Istrith and Geralt actually have in common and that's <laughs> where what Yennefer apparently was into those the things that they share that's more likely the things that attracted her to them in the first first place than whatever they're thinking. A couple interesting comments before we move on. Yormi, uh, Loki-san, 
Emotions are just like a shard of ice. They are fragile, especially when not expressed healthily. And Rick Hoppy says Alfred Hitchcock called the shard of ice the ideal murder weapon. Very oh. interesting. And Alfred Hitchcock is a legend um, in, in storytelling. So I wonder if Sapkowski... I mean, I know there's translations, but that's really interesting, I think. And then Yormi uh, says what we're talking about is peacocking. And uh, that's... Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's for like show, show, you know, like the showing your beauty beautiful feathers and uh, trying to get someone (laughs) to notice you. Something that uh, Dandelion does uh, (laughs) (laughs) quite quite well. (laughs) Just to go back to the projection for a second, like it's, it's so clear that that's what Istrith is doing. And he, like, he's the one who's like, you're like an empty skull, whatever, you know, just a hollow sound on an empty skull. And who's, who's the one banging on the empty skull? It's Istrith. Like he's the one who's doing that. (laughs) He's probably a lot like Yennefer in that like, He has a lot of unlikable qualities, but like is also capable of caring and, you know, and, and, and being a decent guy. Uh, I'm not, I'm not giving him like an overwhelming benefit of the doubt because the way he treats Geralt is like absolutely disgusting. Mm. But I, I think there, there's probably a little more to him than like just that point of view. Like he, there, he definitely has respectable qualities, right? Like he was, uh, he was honorable to like, he was insulting. He was arrogant as hell, but he was honest i think you could give him that much and like he was willing to to be upright with his duel you know like he was gonna face him he's like no i would never just blast you you know which Geralt, i think Geralt gives him grudging respect for that because he could have just blasted him <laughs> and he knows Geralt can kill him which is partially why he's projecting he's like yeah. he's like he knows Geralt is big and strong and uh, Geralt's like got a legend about him out there basically being the best witcher yeah so it's not like Istrid doesn't know that he could die in that scenario you know what i mean so it's like that is interesting too it's just a really interesting dynamic between the two of them he needed to he needed to accept right he he just kept yeah. trying to find a way to be in charge still when he's just not in charge he has to be yennefer's partner not her like boss in the relationship which was kind of trying to be he was making decisions for her he was deciding how she felt and that's just that's just not going to work especially not with her and so the only way he was going to get it to work was to accept the status quo which it doesn't seem like he had that that capacity this is kind of like an interesting inversion of like getting the princess trope. You know what I mean? Like two knights, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. One, one night he's like, I'm a good knight. I'm going to fight for her and she's going to love me because I'm a yeah. knight. When he says you know we'll have I mean? to decide for her, it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that's what it kind of felt like. Yeah, but Stavkowskia was obviously trying to make it way worse, you know? They're kind of each approaching her in the wrong way. And like, again, I, I don't really blame them because I wouldn't want to be in a relationship with Yennefer. But like, <laughs> Istrith is being way too assertive and Geralt is being the opposite. Like Geralt is just kind of like, can we please leave? And she's like, no. And he's like, okay. He's like, when are we leaving? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's just not kind of asserting himself. And I, problem is I think Yennefer likes both of those things. Like deep down, she both wants to be bossed around and wants to be the super boss, which is why neither of them are actually, it's not going to work because she needs, she needs an actual partner. She needs somebody that makes her both concede and control, which is, you know, some of the, some of what we see in her more successful um, relationships later. It's like, it's sad. I, 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 I love the opening of this story. Not, not the Zoogle part, (laughs) 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 but I was telling the guys when we were doing our notes that like the opening scene of Geralt and Yennefer really kind of led me down the wrong path of how I expected the story to be which is that like, it's such a, an intimate 
not just because they have sex, but like, it's a sweet thing. Like Jennifer's like taking off her makeup and like putting on her like night creams and stuff like that. And that is something that like is really personal. And especially for someone like Jennifer, who's so concerned with her appearance and it's such a huge part of how of what she is. That's such a great point, Mika, because you look at like early relationships, like after the honeymoon stage, like, you know, you'll get dressed up, go out, and you want to like go out for dinner and stuff like that. But like, like these moments of vulnerability, it's like super fi- hard to find someone who is willing to take off the mask and be truly mm-hmm. themselves and be vulnerable to each other, right? Yeah, Yennefer is doing that and, and, and Geralt is still accepting of her. Like he, like, and we, like, obviously we find out that Geralt still loves her for her being her, right? Right. So it's like yeah. we find out that all, all, all of this other like extra stuff, this extracurricular stuff was really unnecessary. That people just needed to have a good talk, you know. I was very wrong, Geralt, which irritates me, being the proud Queen of Winter, convinced of her own omnipotence. There are some things you cannot obtain even through magic. And some gifts you can't accept unless you are able to give something in return, something equally valuable. Otherwise, such a gift will slip through your fingers like a shard of ice melting in a closed fist. There will remain only regret, a sense of loss and guilt. That's a great quote, right? Yeah. She's just talking, and she's talking about how she doesn't think she would handle it properly. She thinks that she would kind of crush his heart or something, or she wouldn't be able to go fifty-fifty, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then so she's and she that's what she's saying. A gift if you can't give that gift in return, you shouldn't accept it. It seems like this is her realizing she has to break up with Istrith, and then a minute later she's like, Yeah, and you too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean it's it's a combination of realization and like just an assumption on her part that like I don't think Yennefer actually believes that she's worthy of love or that people can actually love her. I, I think that that's a that's a huge block and a very human block that a lot of people have. But that would kind of, you know, it's fine when you're just flitting around or whatever, or, you know, like, okay, so I'm with the Witcher now. And like, then I'll go back to Israel. I'm like, yeah, I have feelings for them, but not like real, real feelings. And that's fine because they don't have real, real feelings for me either. Like the emotional shit hits the fan in this, mm. uh, in this uh, story. And like, she, she comes to the point where she can't ignore that anymore. I, I really like the use of the Snow Queen because it's not abstract. Like, Yennefer is actually like, I am hurting both of these people. And I was okay with that for a while. And now I'm not. Now that I've realized the extent to which I'm hurting them, which is not fair because I suck. So I don't even deserve to, like, have their love or whatever. We can't, I can't reciprocate anything to them. So that's why she has to get out of it. And I think it's just so, so real and so, like, honest. I think I think guilt mm-hmm. is really like a really big emotion that's fell here because guilt is a super powerful thing. It's always associated with the past and past is a... My yeah. superpower is... Like, 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 <laughs> like, like, like I'll, I'll be honest with you, chat. Like there's things in my... Like I've had some pretty big events. I, I still have guilt. And sometimes you can like overthink about something and it affects you. And then once you overthink about these things, you think about all the other possibilities when there's only one possibility. And then you create all of these constructs and then it complicates things. And I'm not saying Yennefer is overthinking, even though she is, but like, you know what I mean? It's just like, because her trauma is so strong, it's really amplified everything in this situation. And that's why it hits the fan. Real quick too, speaking of Mm -hmm. her trauma, I thought it was really interesting. Just like a one-liner that wasn't explored, but I thought like you could really, it's a rabbit hole that could be explored is that she she sleeps with the light on, that Geralt mentions that. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's interesting. I wonder like, what's that about? 
it's so childlike. Yeah. It's like needing to like keep the the darkness and the nightmares away. And like that is I I mean, I kind of love that it's not explored, but like that is really I, I found that a very powerful line too. That's I'm glad you brought that up. Then she realizes that she's she's becoming a monster too, in a sense, uh mm-hmm. by her effect on them. But that's her own warped view of the past of how she was as a hunchback as well. We got to remember that as well. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and it's also self-contradicting. Mm-hmm. Like if you have the, if you're good enough to make a realization that, uh, to realize the harm you caused to other people, then that sort of implies you are at least somewhat decent. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's also like part of it's when she's like telling Geralt that she is, you know, the Snow Queen. And he, he says that like, I, it's really beautiful, beautifully written, like that he, you know, his, he's caught up with her and like he can't he can't get free and it's cold and she's kind of like well I can't, I can't make you warm because you would see who I truly am which is again ironic because physically she was exposing herself earlier in the in the book and the in the story but then he says like whip your horses north so like I never have to melt and I'll just like stay here with you and I think that's what she realizes is so destructive you know like he can't survive in the cold obviously metaphorically but he's willing to go there with her and she like so, what she has to do is just make it make that impossible. Yeah, don't don't follow me to your death, dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying Jennifer's the heroine of this story, but like maybe <laughs> she has the courage to face the problem, and she's the one who 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 solves the problem. Like she's also part of the one to create yeah. it. But of the yeah. three of them, she's the one that like sets it all straight and create makes the best of it, which is to say, stops it from becoming bloody. <laughs> mm-hmm, right. I like I like your shirt as well as he's a Witcher uh, Popeye's shirt. <laughs> I'm Popeye the Witcher man. Spinach works a lot better than elixirs, kids. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to die. And without some of those side effects. Yes. I mean, you see in this story, you definitely don't want those side effects. Spinach instead of spinach is much better than erectile dysfunction. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be drinking real iron. <laughs> Mikhail, you brought up a really great point in our private conversation we have it in the notes here. Yen versus Yenna. Those are both like, you know, like we are podcast members, you know, like we we all uh, are fairly close with each other. Like, and we, we you know, we're able to connect with each other. But like, if I called you a name, like we're not dating. And if I called you a name, like it would make you feel uncomfortable. Like Yen and Yenna, those are fairly personal things. And both shows that both Istrid and Geralt have their own versions of Yennefer. And I, I felt like that was a really cool thing that you pointed out in our private yeah. chat. Let's talk about that. No, exactly. That. It's it's kind of like the illusion, you know, the, the what is she actually? Is she the person with the bare face, you know, in, in her nightgown? Is she the witch dressed up with all of her magic and belladonna and her eyes and all that. Is she Yenna that Istrith knows her as? Like, she also has a nickname for... She calls him by his real name. Istrith is a nickname, apparently. Whatever that's supposed to mean. And of course, Yen is so intimate with Geralt. Like, you know, <laughs> isn't that... That's in The Last Wish, right? Like, she she's yeah. like, no one's ever called me that before. Call me that again. And and I think he she tells him not to call her that in earlier in... um the first story in the book, if I'm remembering correctly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it is that idea of like something that you, you can't hold on to. Like it, she's, you know, she's there and she's not at the same time. And like, I think a lot of, a lot of these characters, their journey is ultimately like choosing to become, to like, to choose, to pick a final form basically, you know, and like that, what that is changes, you know, according to need, but they kind of can't stay in, in between. You know, mm. yeah, 
Remember, remember in the episode where Geralt is like, Yen, you think we would make good parents? I like that's something like, you know, you know, you know, like he, 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 like he calls her Yennefer, but he uses that in a moment when he's talking about something super serious. And then that's why I felt like I wanted to frame it like that when I'm like, that conversation, and even though it's in the show, you know, it's, it's like, it, it feels like it's really important. You know what I mean? He's trying to be like real with her, like, listen, this is my truth right now. Yen. Uh, you know what I mean? I feel like that's a deeply personal thing. Like he's not saying Yennefer, even though he could say her full name, but like Yen, like it just felt different. Yeah. It's like trying to cut through her exterior to, to remind her of their relationship and be like, look, yeah. like level with me here. You know, there's a lot of versions of Yennefer. I want to talk. I want to talk to the, the, the one who's trying to be a parent and, and re- level with her. <laughs> yeah. And also this is this, this great line. What do y'all put here about the, uh, the falling star? That's a great catch. The whole he doesn't he just ignores it. He's like, I'm not wishing. And that's as a call back to the last wish. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. No, <laughs> no wish. Yeah, that was that was me. Cow. <laughs> Another good great catch, catch. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's, you know, before we even get like the nice scene with them, that's kind of like an indication that it's not going to go well this time. And just Gerald's bad mood. I actually wanted to ask you guys, like, do you think that Aethgen Vale is actually like any shittier than Blaviken or any of these other towns. And it's just like the contrast of Yennefer and like the possibly like impending subconscious knowledge that this relationship is coming to an end. That's like putting Geralt in such a shitty mood. And like, it it kind of seemed to me that like he couldn't see anything beautiful in Aethgen Vale because specifically like it was the ice queen effect. Like he, he wasn't looking at Yennefer. I agree. Yeah. I I don't think it, there there was nothing detailed about why it was worse. Like everything bad about it was just vague. It was like, yeah, there's el- anti-elven stuff, but that's pretty much everywhere. There was a man like assaulting a young girl, but that happens everywhere too. There's like, bad Dandelion food. Dandelion does that. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. it's just he's not he there's nothing he specifically points to about this city that is actually worse than anywhere else that I could pick out. So I agree with you. It's the it's the ice queen effect. It's the shard of ice in his heart. Everything is awful when you have that going on. So, yeah, I think that that's that's perfectly uh, a perfect. Fit it's like there. the equivalent of like if you took a week vacation with your your partner and you break up on the, the first day and you're somewhere oh, beautiful. God. And then after the vacation, you're like that really. So that, you know what I mean? That place is horrible. That place is horrible, even though it was beautiful. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I don't yeah. know if that's Separate an interesting them. analogy, but that's never happened to me, by the way. I'm not describing myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't know. Thank you for sharing, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Ryan Burns in the chat, by the way, because Ryan Burns was just called Yennefer Yenny from the block. And now I need somebody to make that parody very badly. Yeah. He also put that she sleeps with the light on in her sorcerer Tinder profile. So he's on fire <laughs> over there. I feel like that's got to be so frustrating just to sack like wizard Tinder or whatever. Like, oh my God, I swipe left on this guy already. Like, it's the same people. <laughs> Just a couple of other comments. Amy Blackfire is going to be talking about Yennefer on Here Be Dragons this Sunday. So go check that out. Um, Christy Robinson says, I appreciate y'all doing these videos. We got lucky. Like it was really nice to get in 10 episodes. We really appreciate that. You know, we think we work hard and we like to do this. So we appreciate any love that we can get. And yeah, just like a, like, like a lot of really Ryan is in chat. He's part of our Facebook group, by the way, which you can find the link to in the description video uh, of the video. We always like to have nice chats there. We always do a thread on the specific chapter or short story that we're doing. So just a, an open invitation, just in case you haven't joined our group. Mm-hmm.
one thing I just want to point out very briefly is that like the suicide thing is like really intense. And I don't know if the story like gives it enough weight or if it's good that it doesn't give it that much weight. It Hmm, it feels complicated to me, but I, I think that like keeping fatalism in mind, like that's a theme that we see in The Witcher a lot. And it's kind of like this very strong battle between the forces of fatalism and and inevitability and standing up against that. And like the idea that kind of like the only way through it is to, is to get through it. You know, you can't cut out by suicide or, or hiding somewhere or whatever. It's just such a strong subject too. And Sapkowski likes to be funny. So it is kind of difficult. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I feel like some people might be like, oh, it's kind of, you know, like what's Subkowski trying to do here? And Subkowski is really playful in that way. It didn't bother me personally, but I'm like, you know, it might bother other people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not like objecting to it. I'm just kind of like, it. It it is such a serious thing and it's a serious story, but it it's got a lot of, of humor in it. So it kind of, yeah. <laughs> it, it took me a while to be like, oh, Geralt was actually expecting to die here. Like actually, actually. And like he's got this smile on his face. I'm like, okay, I don't know if I want to think about this. It's really yeah. His his reflexes save him, basically. Right. Yeah, he can't help it. He's like, shoom, shoom, shoom. Well, I mean, the, the Zoogle is described as looking like a rotten potato, and that's how the story starts. That's what he's fighting. I think so. it's like a grotesque um, potato, and I'm like, well, what? Yeah. That's a really odd word yeah. to use in front of potato. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder yeah, if that's how it always comes up. I wonder if all the translations have it as potato. I, I think it does because both, uh, as we've gone over before, uh, we have you know a translated uh, ebook version, and I have audiobook, and they they often have lots of small differences in translations. Like? And uh, well, in this case, I don't. This one I didn't notice the potato, but in the case of one of the items. That was on uh, Yennefer's. Actually, no, this was not Yennefer's. This was Istrith's collection of stuff, which even that Geralt's like, I'm not impressed. I've seen better at Yennefer's place. <laughs> 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 even that he's like I'm trying to find a way to put the guy down. But yeah. the line of uh, what is the line? He's like, he sees what looks like homunculus, but is actually could be a smoked newborn baby. <laughs> And the audiobook part, right? Yeah. And the audio in, in the audiobook is a smoke newborn baby. In the tech in the book version it's that we have here, it says preserved fetus. So it's Which <laughs> the, is the, one has more humor added to it for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Those two things are quite different. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I mean, not that, that I'm like pro preserved preserved fetus, but like you could imagine that in a scientific <laughs> context, like smoked newborn. I mean, I just I I wonder, I wonder if that's part also of Geralt's just like trashing Istrith. He's like, that's he's probably got a baby in there. Like, he would do that. He would. He just, Jennifer yeah. has a huge mountain troll penis. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that was the craziest thing I've heard on the or the weirdest thing I've heard on the podcast yet. I don't know if I'm pro fetus or not. <laughs> smoke, smoke, pre- preserve fetus. Anyways. <laughs> One of y'all wrote this note about the parallel at the start, how like Geralt is digging in a ditch or digging in the dump and Istrith is, you know, excavating. That's a really good catch because it's like, yeah, there's, it's that sole social structure thing. Like Geralt is, is much lower on the social ladder. So he, his digging in the dirt is, is of a lower type where Istrith is, oh, I'm an archaeologist. Oh, yes. Hmm." Yeah. (laughs) Fossils. And even like the way they're treated, 
Geralt is actually saving lives. You know, like he has that really kind of disturbing conversation with the mayor where he's like, oh, eight people, no one important, like just some children and like that drunk (laughs) guy. And it's like, holy (laughs) sh... And meanwhile, like, you know, I'm super pro-archaeology and history and all that. (laughs) But like the the mayor is kind of like, well, we just let Istrith do his like, he, he, he considers it pretty similar. Like he's just digging in the dirt, like whatever, this garbage. But he gives us you know, he protects us or like he, you know, we, we get other benefits from him being here. So like you person saving lives, like we don't, we're not going to treat you with respect because you went into the garbage, but the other person we will for, you know, for, for more selfish. And I mean, maybe still important, but maybe less important than actually saving lives. Geralt's kind of a, a frontline worker, as uh, yeah. to use a modern parlance, whereas Istrith is, you know, he's an academic, which that's important too. But, you know, I know who I'd give the vaccine to first. Vaccinate Geralt of Rivia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, th- this this zo- part in the Zoogle part, I actually applies to what we're talking about. I actually find this found this passage particularly interesting because it applies to this okay. on the Witcher fandom wiki. It says, the Zoogle is a monster that has grown accustomed to human settlements. The bees feeds on waste and filth produced by the city, so it need not hunt to fight or survive. To fight to survive. It simply grows and gradually becomes a danger to people. And then I, I put this in bold. This shows how detrimental com, uh, continued degradation of natural environment can be in the long run. Ooh. Therefore, I implore the reader, respect nature. Hmm. Pretty interesting. And the Witcher bestiary. That's pretty good. Kind of a, you know, I mean, we got, uh, you know, we we see Geralt, he saves, I mean, the Zoogle has killed eight people, right? Yeah. Like, that's a pretty big deal, and they need to stop it. And the Zoogle feeds on the filth of humanity, you know, it grows by that. So there's some pretty interesting analogies here, I feel like, at the start of the story, kind of this representation of human nature and the waste we produce and yeah. kind of... Or, you know, what we do. I don't know. Do you guys feel that too? That's a good take. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's just like you can't just ignore all this building up waste, all this foulness. If you don't deal with it, it's going to come back and and kill some people. Or, you know, metaphorically, you would say it was going to come back and bite you in the ass. But which I guess that's that even that joke is made by Cicada saying, you know, if you sting them in the ass, they'll respond quick enough, you know? (laughs) It's it's like if you were to leave nuclear waste in the middle of a town, obviously people would get sick. Yeah, like you could leave it there for a little while and it wouldn't do much harm, but eventually it's going to do serious harm. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, And they didn't choose, I mean, uh, not that they didn't choose to deal with it, but eight people, you Mm -hmm. know, maybe they should have chose two people, you know what I mean? I don't know. And that's even pointed out, like Geralt says, look, you're going to want to check back in a month and all you'll need is dogs because the young Zoogles are, you, you don't have to worry about those. And Mikhail, you brought up an interesting point, not to uh, spoil the next the next story, but Eternal Flame takes a, a bigger setting, you know what I mean, than this. Uh, it's like the big city versus small city kind of dynamic. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, the, the actual biggest city on the continent is, is featured in the next story. So that's going to, some of this is kind of building up to that, which is nice. We get to see uh, Sapkowski's world building, the different ways he puts his cities together and the way he makes them work. That's going to be fun. there's a lot of celtic stuff today obviously the the wild hunt isn't just a celtic thing but it's a it's a recognized perhaps more so than other versions of the wild hunt because there's a germanic version there's an american indian version there's it's a huge collection and even though there's no specific fairy tale influence today 
The man who compiled just about everything we know about the Wild Hunt legends from a variety of cultures around the world is none other than Grimm himself, as in Grimm's fairy tale. So we still do get a little bit of fairy tale aspect, even though it's a little indirect. So that's cool. The reason that we say Istrith instead of Istrid is because of Welsh influence, which is, you know, Celtic, Welsh, it's, those are kind of overlap. That is how they say DD in Welsh. They say it's pronounced TH. So when, when the audiobook says Istrith and Eighth Ginvale, you may hear it pronounced with the, the D instead. Like on TV, they just say Istrid, and that's fine. You know, there's no, it's just yeah. like no, I, I won't tell someone how to say it. I'll, I'll recognize it either way. And I, I think we all can recognize the word no matter how it's pronounced. My sister was rereading the Wheel of Time books, and one of the like baddies or beasties in, in that book are called Murdral. Yeah. But I was pronouncing it Murthral because oh, it is they double do have D. Two Ds. And she was oh. like, why are you doing that? And I was like, because it's a double D and it's Welsh. And she's like, uh, it's Mithral? not. Oh, wow. I've always thought of them as Mirdral, but you're right. It might be Mirthral. might be. That's cooler. Mithral. Yeah. Mithral is like a type of metal that's yeah. often used in armor. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I like that. So the Celtic influence continues with the slip up, the alderman calling her. We're like, what's her name? Guinevere? <laughs> it's like, Guinevere? Yeah, that's a pretty strong parallel to Yennefer. I mean, the name is that it, those are similar names are like the same origin. The name Yennefer, Jennifer, Guinevere, Guinevere. Those are all like the same root name. Shout out to our friend, Lady Gwyn. Yeah, Lady Gwyn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the love, tr- there's a, the story of Guinevere in Arthurian legends is very much tied to a love triangle, right? That's a big part. Lancelot, Arthur, and Guinevere. That's So there's a love triangle here. Guinevere is almost every version of her legend, and there's lots of them, so there's, there's exceptions. But almost all of them have her as childless, uh, with black hair, and often she's portrayed as a sorceress. Uh, certainly not as powerful as, as Yennefer, but still a sorceress. And so there's a lot of parallels there. Again, and the Wild Hunt is often associated with Arthurian legends, specifically, not just Celtic myths overall. So there's a lot of dot connecting here. All the, 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 the influences all seem to be tied to each other. Uh, so it's a very consistent theme of influence here with this Celtic Welsh uh, stuff, which is pretty much all over the elven influences anyway in the Witcher world. The Wild Hunt kind of reminds me a little bit of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. In fact, when I was reading about I the it, Four Horsemen of the Continent, I <laughs> the Four Horsemen of the Continent. When <laughs> I was reading about it, that's specifically mentioned as a as a alternate, like similar legend. So you're totally right. Like that's a that's a bullseye right there. And Snow Queen, <laughs> let it go, let it go, let it let go. It go. <laughs> and there's okay. So we we caught one. Well, at least one non-Celtic influence thing. One of the two guys accosting Geralt that runs away is named Radgast, which, like, if you're a Lord of the Rings person, you might have recognized that as a, maybe a reference to Radagast. Yeah. Uh, is that the one who also says, like, by Baalzebub or something like that? The hermit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, what? That, that, that caught my attention, too. Yeah. By Baalzebub. That's an odd thing to say. Because Baalzebub is what it is in Hebrew. So it's like, yeah. Bye, Beelzebub. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, the flies. Talking about the wild hunt specifically is a little tricky for us. 
we don't want to get into the details because it is part of the story later, which is something of a spoiler, but it's out there. We can't not mention it because, frankly, I mean, it's the name of the third game, right? And that's this game has sold, what, Kyle, like 30-some million copies? Uh, 34 million copies. So you can't exactly conceal that a game that sold 34 million copies is called The Witcher 3 The Wild Hunt. We will, we will say, though, Arthurian legend becomes more important as yeah. the books grow. Considerably. Mm-hmm. Considerably. And, but, but, but I will tease that uh, they, they are tied to a specific yeah. prophecy. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is really cool. Okay, so kestrels, real quick. There's, we don't have a lot to say about them, but there's some symbolism there. Uh, they're, they're basically small falcons. The females are larger than the males, which is that has some symbolic resonance here, them being more powerful, the ones that are kind of in charge. And they don't make nests. Ah, they are a little more transitive uh, and they're, they, they, they take what's there. They like find a, a, a hollow or a cave and just live there for a while and they move on. So that also has some symbolic resonance with uh, the way Yennefer is you know, kind of moving around. She doesn't really stay in one place for super long. She's bigger in a sense, you know, in a metaphorical sense than these guys, uh, <laughs> some more powerful. So that's pretty cool. Not, not staying in one place is pretty big, a big deal. So th- uh, shout out to uh, Ludmilla for uh, some assistance on helping with the Kestrel research there. Let's talk a little bit of herb lore. There's not a lot this time. Some of them are repeated, like Mandrake, Belladonna, Lilac, and Gooseberries. We've talked about all those before. Um, in spe- unspecifically, there's the mention of of the elixirs causing harm to Geralt, and it's one of the themes is that Yennefer is very she dotes on him in terms of his physical health. The elixirs can can keep Geralt from getting it up, but Yennefer has Viagra Cadabra. <laughs> 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 oh yeah. She has some little spell that works, and he says it's quite extraordinary. <laughs> Viagra Cadabra! <laughs> That's what she went to school for. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Don't clip that, everyone. <laughs> so as far as ones we hadn't talked about, things that were uh, lying around in, in her lab or in Istrith's, there was cannabis, which we're not going to get into talking about <laughs> cannabis. That's a humongous topic. I mean, Does that have any mystical properties? <laughs> it's like psycho like there is just oh, it is probably the most written about psychoactive drug or just the most written about substance of all time quite possibly so it's rather large topic what i find interesting is it might be a little bit of sapkowski's sense of humor because first of all psychoactive states historically speaking legend from legend are often associated with people trying to do real world magic and of course marijuana cannabis whatever your preferred term for it is obviously associated with psychoactive states but cannabis is also associated with associated heavily with introspection and that's something that i mean let's be honest Istrith could could probably do good with a joint or two <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> Geralt could use it for his medicinal properties for all his bumps and bruises. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree. So pretty much like almost everyone in the story could use some chill. Also, there's antimony, which isn't uh, an herb, but it's mentioned and it's kind of important. It's got some good symbolism as well. It's used as a cosmetic a lot. It's like it's got a metallic aspect to it. So it's, it's good, for, especially for like eyeshadow. But here's where the deep symbolism comes. It's It's best... When paired with other metals, it's like mm. a symbiotic metal almost. It works. It, it's its best when it's combined with something else. In particular, 
it can be used to, if you burn it with gold or silver, it destroys all the other impurities. So Mm. it basically makes antimony and gold mixed together can make pure gold. It gets rid of all the the stuff. And it's called, because of that, it's called the wolf of metals (laughs) because it eats everything else. (laughs) So that's neat. That's cool. Yeah, the the idea of binding yeah. is cool too. You know what I mean? Chemi- chemically becoming yeah. attached to someone, which makes sense as a cosmetic. It has to be able to attach. But of course, yeah. the deeper yeah. meaning is people uh, working better together than they do separately. Yeah. So that's great. And with the wolf thing thrown in, yeah, the idea of the periodic table here on the podcast—a surprise. <laughs> We're teaching you things. I think you could even draw like a parallel. I mean, this is looking way too deep into it, and I'm sure this is not what Kowski had in mind. But when you know, Yennefer says like warmth would destroy what we have because you would see me for what I really am. I think that's kind of a there in terms of like purifying the perception. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And also metal is more malleable when it's warm as opposed to being cold. Oh, very true. Yeah. Yeah, That's also very true. Good call. Um, So I thought that was neat. As usual, sometimes these might just be coincidences, parts of it. But sometimes when they when they line up this well, it's like, how could that be a coincidence? And this is what we're here for. Like we're here to (laughs) like basically exacerbate it. Come on. Yeah. So it's it's been worth it. Like the first few episodes, we're like, okay, I'm going to dig into this herb lore. But if it hadn't gotten us anywhere, we would have stopped doing it. But it's just like, okay, what? Well, <laughs> now it's one of the things I look forward to the most. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to research the herbs or the metals or whatever. <laughs> and yeah. Sapkowski's super clever too. Like when we did our Novellan episode, we did a grade of truth, like uh, the, the, the mushrooms, specifically like, you know, the way they were in formation, you know, uh, what was it called? The devil's, devil's rings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So some stuff like that, like this is kind of this kind of deal, I think specifically than this story. I think that those are kind of a great comparison. It's pretty funny, specifically according to the Zoogle. I talked a little bit about it earlier, but according to Geralt, before they enter the sewers, he says the Zoogles are hermaphrodites. He says, Zoogles do not need a Miss Zoogle to make little Zoogles. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I just found that really funny. I found it like really weird and funny. Oh, that is so. kind of funny. Yeah, it is like it doesn't, it doesn't need anyone else. <laughs> Yeah, and then they have a whole conversation about snails and mice. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mice that hatch from dust. (laughs) I love those medieval superstitions about, yes, mites just come from... I think that's actually something from the Talmud, like something about mice. Interesting. Yeah, I I could be wrong, so don't don't take that as for sure, but I I feel like I've heard that somewhere. Smoke in the eyes, witcher. Nothing but smoke in the eyes. You confound people like a beekeeper smokes out bees with your stone-like faces, your bravado, and your reputation likely contrived by yourselves. The bees stupidly flee the smoke rather than stinging you in the ass, which would swell up just like any others. They say that you don't feel like humans do. Nonsense. If any one of you got a good jab, you'd feel it. Finished? Yes, said Cicada as he gave the witcher his sword. Do you know what intrigues me, witcher? Yes. Bees. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. It's like he just does not give a crap about this dude. I have nothing but contempt for you. (laughs) If if it was Henry Cable doing the yes bees, it would be hilarious too, right? I'm sure that helped. Yeah. Because that's super funny. It's funny because he sort of esteems him as a fighter because he does say that he knows the price on his head and he would have thought it was a, a low price. That's true. 
<laughs> and he notices, like at the beginning, he notices that he's like, I'm keeping my eye on his hands. And he notices that Cicada's keeping his eye on Geralt's hands. But then when Cicada doesn't keep his eye on Geralt's hands, he gets popped in the mouth. And then that's the end of it. <laughs> that was very satisfying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like someone needs to get punched. And it was satisfying for Geralt, too, because it even he writes like he could feel his anger dissipating. <laughs> and, the, and, and you know what's funny about the uh, Cicada? Obviously, uh, an insect, but they, they hibernate. But they can like whenever they come out, like they come out in bunches and they're super annoying. And Cicada is super annoying. So I don't know if there's like some sort of kind of correlation between Cicada being an idiot and being annoying and the insects and they're kind of... Well, they're really loud. Yeah, they're really loud and they're so loud that they could even... The male, male cicadas can actually harm human hearing if, if you hear it close enough. Or I'm, I'm now I'm just imagining Sapkowski writing this story one summer when the cicadas are out. He's like, I need an annoying name. Ah, oh, shut up. I need an annoying... Ah, oh, can't even... <laughs> cicada. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, aha. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I love how they both realize, Gerald and Istrith both realize that the pet names they use for Yennefer deeply affect the other person hearing it. Like when Geralt hears that Istrith says Yenna and when Istrith hears that Geralt says Yen, it just freak. They're just like, what? It's, it's so, they are, they're so angry. And so they use it as a weapon. He's like, Yenna. He's, and Geralt's like, Yen. When she told me, Yen told me that. And they're, they're like hitting each other with these pet names and it totally works because they're both, they're both getting reactions from the other and that just encourages them to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Also, that that scene is just so well orchestrated toward the end. The way Geralt is so convinced that he's like he's gonna he's gonna finish him off. He's like got the upper hand, and then Istra just comes out with like, "Well, I slept there this morning," and like just the way it crashes, <laughs> and then they're both just like sitting there like, "Are we done? Yeah, we're done. Go away." <laughs> like. <laughs> It's, it reminds me of, I won't say when it's coming, but this is a very vague spoiler. There's a, there's a moment m- much later in the series where a certain person draws this sword out that they paid a lot of money for. And the first time the sword actually gets used, it just breaks immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's, that's this. He's like, oh, I've got my weapon ready. I'm going to, oh, <laughs> he's got the same weapon. <laughs> so it just breaks. <laughs> what about this? Um, he had lived at Yennefer's house in, uh, in Vangerberg for six months and she possessed an even more interesting collection, including a phallus of unprecedented proportions, apparently from a mountain troll. So a giant troll dick. Um, she also had a magnificent, magnificent stuffed unicorn. Fans of the game, you'll know this one. A post upon whose back she liked to make love. Geralt was of the opinion that the only place even less suited for lovemaking would be the back of a live unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) That reminds me of, do you guys remember Clerks? Yes. Uh, Where they kept talking about the back of a Volkswagen the most. So he's like, the only place to make love that's less comfortable is the live unicorn. Yeah. (laughs) So that would be chasing. And Geralt's just like, we have this perfectly good bed. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's like, why the unicorn? Yeah. And, and there's a whole scene in The Witcher Three, The Wild Hunt. They're uh, they're on Skellige, and anyways, they, they go in there, and and then and then there's a scene with them naked on the like. You get a chance to romance Yen or Tristan in the game, and I always choose Yen because of the damn stuff unicorn moment. It's the best. <laughs> so for those of you who are looking for sexy time in The Witcher, uh, there you go. <laughs> Keep an eye out for that unicorn. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and, and it's funny, someone put, uh, so, so and, and it's funny, uh, Geralt's and Ishrid's dick measure, measuring conversation. And <laughs> yes. Well, we also have a pirouette count. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> there is one pirouette in the story. One we had one last week, I think, or last time, but we hadn't had one in a while. We were we were a little pirouette dry for a while. Yeah. And, and Amy says, "So much eggplant in this short story." Spam <laughs> <laughs> the eggplant emojis in chat, everyone. Horny, horny jail for all of you. Okay. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for the podcast today. This is a really fun one. You know, this has been a really fun endeavor for us. It's been uh, over a year since we got The Witcher Season 1. And that's kind of how we all started kind of getting talking about this. You know, I talked to Aziz and I kept on badgering him about finishing the books because he, you know, he had been flying everywhere. And he's like, Kyle, I'm reading the books, man. I'm really into this. And I'm like, dude, we got to talk about this show. I'm telling you. I'm like, I I didn't say the next Game of Thrones, but he knew what I meant about it. And then we were, then Aziz recruited me, Cal. And now we're here, the trio with 10 YouTube episodes, which is great. I feel like a, a little applause. We, we made it through a 10 episode. We survived. We can pat ourselves on the back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we got, of course, on Anchor, we have our all of our downloadable episodes that are up there in a nicely, neatly organized playlist. Thank you for everyone that supported us. We really appreciate that. Thank you very much, everyone. It's awesome to have a community building around the show and our show as well. If you do want to support us, it's, it's pretty cool. On Anchor, um, you can do the $1 option, the $5 option, or $10 option. There's a support button. You don't have to do that. Like I said, your support, you coming to watch the podcast, listening, leaving us a review. If you enjoyed the podcast on any of the listening platforms that you use, it's obviously super helpful. Tell us how awesome we are. Mm-hmm. Give us five stars. Mm-hmm. Say, yeah, you guys are cool. We love the Witcher podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. Woo!